Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Keep the Faith by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you're always speaking and so I pray today that the Holy Spirit would tune in our ears and open our hearts to hear what it is that you might have to say to each one of us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to begin in Malachi chapter 2, continuing on our journey through Malachi. Uh, for, those, for those that were here and can remember, uh, October the 29th, 1941, and everyone said nobody here was ever that old, but uh, October 29th, 1941, what I would consider to be one of the greatest speeches from one of the greatest of last century's leaders, Kurt. It was on October the 29th that Sir Winston Churchill would return to his old school of Harrow and he would give a speech that would have three of the most powerful words in it for that time and those words were never give up. What we may not appreciate is that just 10 months before that, Sir Winston Churchill was in the same place giving a speech but things looked remarkably different. Ten months prior, they were at the height of the Blitz. Everyone else was saying that Britain was underarmed, undermanned, that they were going to be defeated or surrender to Germany. Many countries throughout Europe had already surrendered to an oppressive and evil regime that was sweeping across Europe. And everybody said, it's just... A matter of time. And so Winston Churchill would stand 10 months after that time and say, it doesn't this prove that you should just never give up. And today, as we come to Malachi chapter 2, there is a message for us that says the same, because uh, Malachi, in a roundabout way, would tell Israel never give up. We live in similar times maybe as back in 1941. We're not in World War II right now but the church is being attacked from all sides just like Britain may have felt like at that point in time. The pressure to surrender, the pressure to give ground, the pressure, it looks like everybody's commentating on the church right now and they're saying it's just a matter of time. The church is irrelevant. The voice of the church has become irrelevant. Well I I'm not prophetic and I don't pretend to be, but I believe there will be a day when the church will say, looking back, they will say, never give up. Wait and see what God would do. And today as we enter into the second part of Malachi chapter 2, the key word today is the word faithless. It highlights the problem and it exposes a heart condition that we have a remedy for that we'll move to a little bit later on. A little bit of context that brings us to chapter 2 of Malachi. And what we find is, for those that were with us, Malachi preaches around about the time. He's He's a prophet, he has an oracle, and he has a word from the Lord about 100 years after Israel has returned from exile. The walls have been rebuilt, the temple has been rebuilt, they have reinstigated worship in inverted commas, they have reinstigated worship, and now Malachi stands to a generation that has forgotten God. 
don't get me wrong, they're still going through the motions. Don't get me wrong, they still turn up to the temple and, and sacrifices are still happening, but things have dramatically changed and what we see on the outside is a definite reflection of what's going on on the inside. And today we need to remember that. Today, as we work our way through Malachi chapter 2, he's going to talk about marrying foreign women and what that meant. And he's going to speak about marriage and he's going to speak about divorce, but that's not what the topic is today. So settle down, we're going to be okay. We're going to walk our way through this and everybody's going to be okay because all of that is an outward sign of a deep inner problem that was going on in Israel. Malachi begins his oracle, which if you could sum it up in one sentence, it would be return to the Lord. Maybe that is the word to the church today, return to the Lord. And he begins with the motivation and he says, I I have loved you, says the Lord. Well, how have you loved us? Uh, Is not Jacob Esau's brother, but yet I've loved Jacob. And so often when we hear that, we go, how could God possibly reject Esau? No, no, wrong question. How could God possibly love Jacob? We are all Jacob, completely undeserving of God's love, completely undeserving of his grace, yet he pours and lavishes his love and grace on us just as he did with Jacob. I have loved you. That's the motivation. And of course, God then says, well, what about the worship? And the problem with worship was it was still happening in the temple and and sacrifices were still occurring, but they were bringing God their leftovers. God says, are you not dishonoring me when you bring me your blind lambs and your lame? Whatever is left over, of your flocks. You're going to bring me that. That's not worship. Worship is when we bring God the best of what we have. God, this is the best of what I have. This is the first of what I have. And so God says, you know what? If that's worship for you, then you just shut the doors. Close the temple. They had failed to see how great God was and how great God is. Today, as we work our way through Malachi chapter 2, let us first expose what the problem is. First of all, we begin at verse 10, and, and Malachi says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? This Malachi uses the word Father in reference to God twice. Outside of Malachi, the only time in the Old Testament that God is referenced as Father is a song of Moses in Deuteronomy. They, they didn't refer to God as Father. Jesus, when Jesus taught us to pray and says, Our Father, that was radical for him to say that. But what Malachi wants Israel to know, you have your beginnings, you have all that you are. God has formed you as a nation. God has preserved you. God has loved you. Uh, do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? The, why then are we faithless? Or why do we deal treacherously? Why is it that we have thrown our commitments like a bucket of water against the wall? That's what Malachi is saying in this word faithless. It's just a flippant attitude to any kind of commitment that they had made. See, our God's a God of covenant. A covenant sounds overarchingly like this, if you will, then I will. That's what a covenant sounds like, but Israel had let go of their side. And today we might say, well, a covenant is like 
like the bank, you know, I, I, I pay them money and, and they lend me money for my house. No, that's a contract. We might say, well, hang on a second, a covenant's like what I have with my business partner and, and we've agreed to this. No, that's a contract. But if you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, you know what, a covenant's a little bit like when I stand at the altar and I say to my spouse, I will, you've got it. Today is not about marriage. Today is not about divorce. Today is about a heart condition amongst God's people where they said, you know what, we just are flippant with our commitments. Gone are the days where we just decide we're going to tough this out. Imagine what would have happened across the face of the globe if Britain had said, you know what, uh, here's the white flag, Germany, you just come and do what you like. We're under pressure today. If you, if you read on, it says, Why then are you faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and an abomination has committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. This is the first part, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So what, right? Maybe we sit here today and say, so what? Uh, uh, they've married uh, women uh, outside of the nation of Israel. What's the big deal? Let me give you an example of what this looks like that might then bring it into our day today. Uh, going back some centuries to a man by the name of Solomon. Talk about a man whose journey begins well, right? God says, ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he asks for wisdom. didn't ask for kale. <laughs> He asked for wisdom, so he's... Uh, he already had coffee. God created water to fill the coffee. But he asked for wisdom. And the scriptures record in the book of 1 Kings that Solomon loved the Lord. Wow. And David wanted to build a house, a temple for God. And God said, you're not going to build the temple, but the one after will. And Solomon takes all of the provisions that David has built a temple. After the temple is built, after the glory of the Lord comes down, God appears to Solomon a second time and says, you know what? If you will walk before me as David did with an undivided heart or a heart of integrity, and if you will be upright before me, then, then I will bless you and your house. And everything sounds great and wonderful. Solomon has done a great job. But if you keep reading to 1 Kings chapter 11, you will read about a time when Solomon married women outside of Israel. And it says that they turned his heart away from God. Solomon had something like 800 wives. And they said he was wise. <laughs> we all love each other this morning. What's the problem? Over a period of time, they had turned his heart. He had been reshaped. We are under the same pressure. Israel, in this chapter, has succumbed to the same pressure. Today, uh, I was sharing this uh, just recently, but reading through the book of Romans, I found something astounding. 
You see, in the book of Romans, what we read in Romans chapter 12 is this. We read, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to him, and that you be transformed. Do not conform to this world, but be ye transformed. That word conformed there in the Greek means that you are reshaped from the outside. It's like taking a mould when you're making dessert, and everyone's going, dessert, I love dessert. But it's like when you are reshaping something, you are conforming something to another shape. Here's what Paul is saying to the Roman church in chapter 12. He is saying, don't allow all of the pressures on the outside to shape you. But in chapter 8, he, at the end of chapter 8, he says that we have all been predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Same word in the English, different word in the Greek. And what it means in verse, verse uh, chapter 8 is that we are being conformed or reshaped from the inside out. Friends, I've got some news today that I need to tell you. You are being conformed. The choice you have today is whether you will be conformed by the outward pressures and be reshaped by the culture around us or whether you will be reshaped from the inside out by the wonderful and glorious Holy Spirit that wants to shape you into the image of this glorious Son of God, Jesus. And what had happened to Israel here was you have become faithless. You have given up ground. We are under pressure today as God's people to give up ground. Commitment is a different word today. I speak to some people that retired after working in the same job for 35, 40, 45 years. You don't hear that today. The, the loyalty, and I'm one of them, by the way. I, I, when I was in Tasmania, I, I, I was a jack of all trades and a master of none. I had more jobs than they had in the newspaper half the time. But uh, most we've, we've lost, as a culture, we've lost loyalty. And we've lost what it is. We've allowed the world to rob the church of what it is to say, you know what, I am not going to be governed by my feelings. I am going to stand. I am going to keep walking. And I'm going to keep worshipping God no matter what happens around me. And we have given ground. So Malachi says, first and foremost, we see that there is a heart condition. You have, you have let go of your commitments. If we walk, walk our way on uh, to verse 13. And this second thing you do, ever wondered why, uh, and sometimes we need to search your hearts, ever been praying and, and seeking God and it feels like the heavens are just like brass? And you can't, well, there was a time when Israel felt like that. Let's keep reading. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favour from your hands. And here we see there, they're coming to the altar, they're crying over the altar. Everything looks very good on the outside, very dramatic on the outside. But the problem is there's an internal problem. But you say, why does he not hear us? Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife. And here we see again that what is happening on the outside is a picture of what's going on on the inside. You have been faithless 
with a covenant, and this is about divorcing. And let me give you some context of what's going on here. And so now Malachi says that faithlessness, uh, that lack of commitment and that disloyalty has flowed into your marriage relationships, and we see it there. But what is going on in the background was these guys were in a time of deep, deep economical depression. It's the only way to describe. When they had returned to Israel, things were tight, things were tough. But there was a way out. If you married somebody outside of Israel, by that marriage, you would be plugged into different trade circles. You would be plugged into opportunities and possibilities You see, what Israel had done is they said, you know what, forget God, forget the covenants, forget all of those agreements, uh, forget all the loyalty, to all of those things. I would rather take matters into my own hands, uh, be my own God, make my own way, and if I have to, I'll go to the nations around me. But to do that, they have to divorce their current wife in Israel. Marriage and divorce, it's a sermon for another day, but when Jesus was asked this question, about divorce in Matthew 19. He didn't speak about divorce, he spoke and upheld marriage. And here's what Jesus was doing, and here's what our call as a church is to do, is to always point back to God's blueprint, because that's what Jesus did. See, what Jesus did, they come and ask him about, you know, what do you say about divorce? We can just write a certificate and move on, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 you've got a very flippant attitude towards divorce. So he upholds God's blueprint and says, this is how it was originally. A male and female, and if you don't like that, I didn't write the Bible. Male and female standing at the altar before God saying, I will, leaving and cleaving. God always points back to, Jesus always points back to the blueprint. And so today, no matter what your past has for you, you might have addiction in your past, you might have broken relationships in your past, you might have a whole range of things in your past. But just like Jesus, uh, we don't, we're not concerned with your past, we just want to uphold the blueprint that God has for you and urge you to follow Christ according to his blueprint. But Israel had walked away from God's blueprint. Have a look around you at culture today. If there's not a sense of craziness in the culture around us today, have a look. What does it look like when people leave God's blueprint? Have a look at what happens. Same happened for Israel. The message to Israel, the problem that Malachi is highlighting here is you're weeping over the altar. You're giving all your sacrifices. You're still turning up to the temple. You're you're bringing me your leftovers. But the problem is you're not willing to deal with the internal problem that says you abandoned and left me a long time ago. You want my benefits, but you don't want me. That's what's going on here. And sometimes there are elements of that that haven't changed. So the question is today, and what a day on a day of baptisms to be, God just lines things up, but what a day today to be speaking about what it looks like to stand and say, this is what baptism is. Baptism 
is when a person says, Jesus has done something powerful and transformational on the inside of my life. And I want you to know, just like that song that we sang this morning, there is none but Jesus for me. When you're baptised, you're saying, I'm following Christ. I've committed my life to Christ. That's what commitment looks like. The rest of my life, no matter what comes, I'm going to follow Jesus. That is really important. Because the outside culture wants to change who we are, wants to conform our message to something that's tolerable for them. Jesus was very offensive to people that wanted to hang on to their sin and their religion. If you want to know what the opposite of this looks like outside of Jesus, I think the, the man in the New Testament that highlights this the most is Paul the Apostle. I mean, Paul the Apostle was five foot nothing. I mean, he, I, I think at best estimates, he was four foot eight, four foot nine. On, when, on, when we read about Paul, we think this guy must have been a nine foot giant, right? But he was, he was this hobbled over, shriveled up little guy. But what an impact he made, right? And he, I'm going to read to you today his final words to his son in the faith. These are the last words that Paul writes to a man by the name of Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, before we get to the verse this morning uh, that I want to speak on, let's begin at verse 1. He says, I charge you, Timothy, Paul says, I I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing. That word's enormous. When, uh, by the way, when the Paul the Apostle speaks about the return of Christ, he uses the word appearing. And if you unpack that in the Greek, it literally means to drop the curtain. That there is a moment in time when we stand here completely oblivious to the fact that God and all of his presence and glory is right there and the curtain drops. Watch out for that day. And by his appearing and his kingdom. Here's what he says to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse 3. For the time is coming. When people will not endure sound or healthy doctrine. Paul, that time has come. It came in his time too, by the way. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Paul, that day has arrived. Verse 4, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul, that day has arrived. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Yeah, just go past that part, Pastor. Just keep rolling on past that part. Endure suffering. A man of God has to endure suffering. Turns out it's part of the project. Uh, Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. He's writing to a pastor, telling him to do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Here's what Paul says. 
For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is speaking about his death. Uh, death by beheading, which is about to happen. And the time of my departure has come. Here's what he says. I have fought the good fight. Uh, we might be sitting here today thinking, okay, things look pretty bleak for Israel. Uh, there was some bleak... Maybe we're looking at the culture today. Maybe we're standing like many did in 1940, looking at Britain thinking, you know what, things look pretty bleak. Maybe everybody out there thinks uh, pretty bleak for the church. But I want you to know today that uh, what Paul says here has huge ramifications for us. There are three things that we should do. I want to finish with three things. First one is, he says, I have fought the good fight. And so I charge everybody in this room, I charge young men, young women, uh, uh, more mature men, not old, there's nobody here that's old, more mature men and more mature women, I charge you to fight. The Christian life is a fight. If you go back to June the 4th in 1940, there's another famous speech by Sir Winston Churchill where he let the Germans know, we will fight you on the beaches. We will fight you on the land. We will fight you in the hills. And to today's culture and to the evil, oppressive culture that surrounds us, we want the enemy to know this. We will fight you. We will fight you wherever you are. We will fight you in our family. We will fight you in the church because it is time for us to fight. Have a listen to a man that fought. I love this. Talk about a resume, hey? Have a listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. They were doubting his apostleship. They were doubting his call. And here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 11. You can read this later on, but talk about a man that fought. Here's a guy that fought, and here's what it sounds like. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. Must have been a preacher. With far greater labours, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Here's what it sounds like to fight. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And for our friends, uh, in today's culture, that means something dramatically different than what it does today. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift on the sea. On frequent journeys, he says... On frequent journeys, I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. You want to know what it sounds like to fight? That's what it sounds like. The Christian life is a fight. If we stop fighting, we give ground. The minute you stop fighting, you give ground. Many people know here that uh, every now and again I go fishing. Every, every once in a blue moon I get to go fishing, but it turns out, it turns out to be almost every week. But, but when I started kayak fishing, I only had a paddle kayak, and that's like, that's like Old Testament stuff. You know, you've got to do everything under your own power and under your own steam. I'm thinking there's got to be a better way. And there is a better way. I got an electric motor. That's like the New Testament when you operate according to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just wonderful. But here's something I've learned. Whether you're paddling or whether you've got the motor on, the minute you turn the motor off and stop, all of the outside forces begin to push you the other way. 
So it is in the Christian life. The minute you take your foot off the gas, the minute you decide, I'm going to stop fighting, the minute you think, you know what, we're already defeated, the minute you think, you know what, I'm going to stop praying for my family or for my kids or for my, my mum and dad or, or I'm going to stop praying for my pastor. He's crazy. He lost it a long time ago. Everybody said amen. <laughs> Friends, the minute you stop fighting, you're losing. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. Looking back over his life, he says, I fought the good fight. He moves on and he says, first one is, I would charge everybody in this room to fight. The second one is, to finish. Friends, uh, can I highlight one thing? The Christian life is a marathon and not a sprint. Uh, uh, Cheryl and Errol, uh, Cheryl and Earl, Cheryl and Errol. <laughs> Earl and Cheryl, who have crossed the border from Tasmania, so obviously security had the day off. Uh, is, is Norm MacDonald still at Lagana? Is Norm Macdonald still running marathons? He stopped. Uh, last time I spoke to Norm, he was uh, disappointed because he was going to stop running the City to Serve marathon because his times had begun to slip. We're talking a gentleman, late 80s. Unbelievable. Uh, the only reason I can ever understand to, for anybody to run is if the police are chasing you, and, <laughs> and, and let alone time slipping, uh, 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 but... The marathon teaches us there's a finish line. The sad thing is, too many Christians pull out before the finish line. Start off well. When I was young, about five years ago, in youth group... Speak the truth in love. Uh, I can remember we had a youth group of almost 30 wonderful people. And although I'm not in contact with every one of them, myself and my wife are the only two I know of that are still in the race. We are letting the enemy take ground. It's time for us to fight. Paul says, I like the last one though. He says, uh, first one I fought the fight, good fight, so let us fight, let us finish the race. I have kept the faith or I have kept or I have preserved or I have diligently guarded or kept my eye on the faith. This is not... Uh, the, uh, this is not about the conversion experience of faith. This is about what it is that you base your life on. Is, this is about what you believe. I have kept the faith. I have not, Paul was struggling against as many false teachings and false teachers as anybody will in any generation. But he says, I've kept the faith. I've preserved the faith. He bled for the churches that he had planted. He wrestled for them in prayer. As he is writing this epistle to Timothy, He's writing that all the churches in Asia have now deserted me. All of the ones that he lovingly, Corinth, Ephesus, where Timothy is, all of them have deserted me. Why? Because he's locked up in a Roman prison with a criminal tag put on him. And so they said, you know what, we're not going to associate with Paul anymore. He says, you know what, I've kept the faith. 
Paul did his most profound work from jail. He wrote his most profound letters while they locked... You can't lock up the Word of God. You can't lock up the Holy Spirit. He always finds a way. I charge you this morning as we, as we have looked at the problem of faithlessness amongst Israel, the charge that comes to us today in the name of Jesus is that we will fight the good fight, that we will finish the race. Hebrews tells us that we should run the race, our race that is marked out for us. You have a race that is your race. It is your course that God has set before you to run. Fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. Today, that's a charge to all of us, but to the wonderful people that have decided today, you know what, I'm going to take a stand and be baptised, that's a word for you today. That today is just a moment in your journey with Christ to a lifetime commitment of saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to finish my race, I'm going to keep the faith. Let us pray. Father, we all can wax, we all can wane, we all, Lord, allow the fire sometimes to burn low, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would breathe upon the coals in every one of our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would once again instigate inside of us the desire to fight, the desire to finish, and the desire to keep the faith this morning. Thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that you have saved us and lifted us Thank you for your truth, which stands against all pressure and all of the culture. Father, we today ask you to set us as ambassadors for Christ wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.